This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 220 with Natalie Morris. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in this episode and discount codes to our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 220. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day. Because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Natalie Morris is a broadcaster, writer, speaker, and the co-founder and CFO of Morris Invest. Previously, Natalie was a news anchor and technology reporter for NBC, CBS, CNET, and The Today Show. Her mission is to empower couples and families to take control of their money, stop living paycheck to paycheck, and start building real long-term wealth. After leaving a full-time job and a six-figure paycheck as a news anchor on NBC in order to raise her family, Natalie ended up with an unexpected feeling when it came to money powerlessness. Instead of shrinking back, she decided to run headfirst into her powerlessness and started operating her family's wealth like a business. As of October 2017, Natalie, her husband, and their three children, ages one, five, and seven, have achieved complete financial freedom due to the creative money and business decisions they've made. And Natalie launched NatalieMorris.com as a way to share surprising lessons learned on their journey. Listen in to hear Natalie share why she had to get out of TV and move on to something more powerful and meaningful, what performing assets are and why they are necessary to building wealth, how to create a family mission statement based on your personal family values, why you should treat your marriage partnership like a business and how to do that, and how to be more innovative and creative around wealth building. You are going to learn a lot here. This is a really fascinating conversation, and I love Natalie's openness and sharing her own experience and just sharing how she got from one really successful career into diving into powerlessness in order to build something really positive and powerful for her own family, but also to build something that can really, really help and support other people. And we talk about our own personal experiences with money in this podcast, and we dive deep around all the things that she's doing now and the things she recommends all families do. It sounds a little funny to treat your marriage or your family like a business, but Natalie has some really great points that I think you're going to find are just spot on. So let's go ahead and dive in with Natalie Morris. Natalie Morris, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I can't wait to have this conversation today. Me too. Okay, so we're going to talk about money, which is sometimes a little uncomfortable for people, sometimes really exciting for people. So let's go ahead and dive in and tell us about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. 
I am excited in the new year to help people understand their finances in a more empowering way. That has really become my mission in life in a way that maybe I didn't quite understand how it all led to this moment in the last, I guess, well, I'm going to be 40 this year. So to me, it all seems like a congruent journey now in a way that I can share what I've learned. Maybe it didn't for a long time. (laughs) And I think probably most of us can relate to that. I remember my sister one time was like, you should just change your email signature from whatever grad student so-and-so to professional freeloader because <laughs> my journey didn't seem like it was going in any one way. But to me, it does. So I've made it my career in the last two or three years since, you know, I'm a freelance broadcast news TV, either anchor, correspondent, reporter. But I don't do it full time anymore and more because I want to get my message out that women and men and families can really take control of their finances, not just to live better, you know, sort of managing their bills, but to build wealth and freedom and empower themselves and finances in a way that I don't think we've been spoken to before. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And I agree. And also, I want to just back up a little bit because I would love to hear a little bit about your transition from news anchor and reporter for big networks like NBC, CBS, being on the Today Show, those kinds of things that I think a lot of people would kind of feel like that's when you've arrived, when you have those kinds of gigs. And you made the decision to transition out of that into the finance piece. And so tell us a little bit about what motivated that and what inspired that. Well, I can't take too much credit for it, although in the end, I'm glad that I was pushed in this direction. You know, when I was full time at CBS, I had a Me Too moment of my own that made it so that I couldn't stay in that job any longer. And my son was eight months old. I had gone back to work when he was three months and it you know, didn't work out for me. So I found myself unemployed when he was eight months old. And my husband was a news anchor for Fox News. He anchored the weekend show. And so I was looking for another broadcast job. So I was meeting with CNN and ABC and, you know, all of these other networks, Bloomberg. And I realized that I did not want to take on a full-time job five days a week because my husband was working weekends. Mm. And so once I was out of the workforce and home with my husband and baby son, I realized it's hard for us to have someone working every day of the week. We're never together. Our schedules cross. And how are we going to raise this baby as a team? And so I started to look for more flexible jobs. And in daily news, that's really hard to come by. My husband's job was like a unicorn because he was home all week and then just worked the weekends in the mornings. And so I thought, well, that'd be great if I could get a job like him, his, but how how is I going to do that? Right. It's so rare. There's only a handful of those jobs at all. Mm -hmm. So I got a freelance job at NBC and that was great, but it wasn't really fulfilling my need to create and my need to contribute money to my family. It was, you know, I was hustling for one-off segments, um, doing these pieces on the Today Show, which I sort of lovingly call shit on a table pieces <laughs> because I was a I was a technology reporter. So a lot of times on the Today Show, they don't want like Apple stock news or whatever. You know, right. what they want is either like, why did these Samsung phones blow up? Or what are the f- top five gadgets to get for Mother's Day? And then you just spread them all out at a table and you walk down it like Vanna White. I did not like doing that. Mm-hmm. I was grateful to be able to do it, but I felt like... I don't know. I'm like, am I changing the world here? Like, (laughs) I'm just showing off the Kindles and, you know, I don't know. There was something about it. I felt like I wasn't able to really be a part of a serious conversation. Like I'd watch the anchors at the news deck go over the day's news. And I felt like I wanted to get in on that game. And then like, okay, here I come with my shit on the table. And I think it was good because it kept me in the broadcast world while I was new as a mother. Mm -hmm. And you know, it allowed me to feel like I still was relevant enough, but I wanted a regular paycheck. I wanted to be, you know, there was a part of my ego that told me, you're a broadcast news journalist, you need to be on TV, or you need to be making the same six figures you were before, or else you're not worthy anymore. And so that was a really hard 
change management time for me. I wasn't prepared for it. I knew, in fact, I remember so clearly when I walked out of CBS and I was pushing my son in his stroller and I said to myself, okay, you know, you know that there will be high highs and low lows. There'll be times when you'll get a freelance job and it will feel amazing. And then there'll be times when no one calls you back and you have to be ready for that. So I was sort of glad that I gave myself that pep talk. Maybe it came from like a guardian angel because I don't want to give myself too much credit for that. But then when inevitably I remember one day I was waiting for my agent to let me know how this meeting with CNN had gone and there was no return call. And and so I said to myself, okay, if I'm not going to have a regular paycheck, I'm going to become really good with money and building wealth with the money we have now so that it doesn't matter whether I have a paycheck or not. So I didn't think, okay, I'm just going to be a great budgeter so that we can live on my husband's. I I already was pretty good at that, but I didn't want to shrink our lives down any further because I didn't have a job anymore. Mm -hmm. I wanted us to find wealth. And so I decided I was just going to go to the library, find the first personal finance book that I could find that sort of spoke to me. I had nothing, like no plan in mind. I just went to the library with my library card and I found something And it taught me one skill and then I went to the next skill and I went. So I just sort of took it really slowly and I decided, okay, this is my job for now. Like I still was hoping my agent would come to me with something. The fact that he didn't, I know, was my destiny because there's no other reason that I wouldn't have got a job, you know, Mm -hmm. but if I did, what would have happened to me then? If I did the same job that I did at CBS at NBC, there'd be no personal growth. I wouldn't have come to this conclusion. And I certainly wouldn't have taught myself all these personal finance tricks that I'm now trying to teach other people. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that I really want other, especially moms to know is that if I can do it, you can do it. And all you have to do is start by making yourself a balance sheet, which is just a list of your assets. So you take all of the assets that your family owns, your house, your car, your stock accounts, your 401k. Then you list your liabilities, your home payment, your car payment, what have you. You subtract the two numbers and you know what you're worth on paper. And then you just take one line at a time and think, how can I do better than this? So most of us think like, well, I'm automated some savings. I have automatic contribution to a 401k. And they think that they can sort of save themselves to wealth. And when you really start to study wealth, you'll realize that nobody can save their way to wealth. That's not how wealthy people become wealthy, that you have to own passive income by way of performing assets. So when you look at your asset list and you realize you've got a 401k, that's not getting you anywhere closer to freedom at all. And then you learn to evaluate your assets and you start to think, how can I turn them into performing assets, something that I can live off of right now? In our house, we do it through rental real estate. We took stock accounts, we bought investment properties, and now those properties pay us every month in a way that my 401k certainly wasn't. So I want people to sort of understand that you can do better if you teach yourself one thing at a time, but also you have to think of your family finances and the same caliber of responsibility as your day job and use all of those skills that you use to succeed in your day job, like team management, goal setting, you know, personal growth. All of these things are just as important in terms of your family finance as they are in your day job. So interesting. So there's this common thread when you talk about leaving CBS because of having a Me Too situation and then realizing that you needed to get out of TV altogether. And it seemed like you were on this kind of this journey to like do the best thing for you, not settle and find something that was meaningful. And like you said, like you could have just been showing off the the new iPads and the phones on the table, but that would have like been soul sucking to you. And I think so many people think like, oh my gosh, it would be so nice to just like be able to show up and do this thing that's easy and get a good paycheck for it. But for you, that wasn't meaningful. It wasn't significant. You wanted to be contributing to the world. So I really love that the story of your journey to where it took you and then how it's just built and evolved since then is really, really fascinating and really powerful. Oh, thanks. You know, I felt really badly about it because my mother was like, well, I mean, I knew that like my mom really liked to show her friends clips of her daughter on the Today Show. (laughs) 
And so there's something about it that sort of feeds your base ego. Yeah. And I remember telling my husband, I feel like I should let someone who's more grateful for this do it. Because I had done it for a certain number of years. And then, you know, it's cute when you're 30, but now I'm going to be 40. And if I'm 40 and I'm still doing shit on a table... I feel like there would have been no personal growth there. And there's something very sad about it. Like, you know, I've worked in the anchor chair and my husband's been in the anchor chair and people who are contributors to talk shows, a lot of them don't get paid. And a lot of them live on a sort of despair. Like, when's my next segment? Am I going to get paid for this? So, you know, it's a tough life and you don't have any kind of, and in the end, Talking to you will help me get my message out there so much better than it will if I'm on the Today Show. Because no one on the Today Show is going to, even if I did a, a personal finance segment on the Today Show, right? I'd get three minutes. Would I really get the chance to tell my story going from like a negative net worth inside of my family, having this ego crisis as a career woman, and then all of a sudden full-time mom, would I really get people to go on this journey with me? It would be almost impossible to do. And so I want to go where I'm most useful right now. And I still have a freelance contract with CNBC. So I'm grateful for that because every now and again, I can still establish myself as a personal finance expert and I can go on the air and still make a paycheck. And that's useful, but I don't think it's worth all of my time. Right, right. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for 
understood explains and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. So one of the things you talk about with families is the importance of having a mission statement. So tell us where that came from, because it sounds like perhaps you built a mission statement. I don't know if it was intentional or not at the beginning, but it sounds like you had this like developing mission statement as you were shifting gears and whether that was conscious or not, I'm not sure. But tell us about how that has looked for you and then the significance of all families having a mission statement and how we go about creating one. Yeah, it's kind of like your family crest. It's like, do you watch Game of Thrones? It's like you're... I might be the only person in the world who does not oh, watch okay. Game of Thrones. All right. But I do so know what a family you crest Game is. Of Thrones, you know that each family has its own like ethos, right? Like they are the dragon family or the like people who the Ramsey Boltons, like we slay people. <laughs> like yeah. it's, So, you know, it's sort of a way to think of your family values in a very strong minded type of way. And I wish I could take credit from this, but it's actually the person who is my lawyer wrote a book called Entrusted. And it's like how to, you know, pass down your, I don't remember the subtitle, but you can just look for it. It's called Entrusted. And So the authors are Andrew Howell and York is his partner's name. I only know Andrew because he's my lawyer. So I was going through this exercise of setting up my trust, which is like how we pass down our wealth to our kids, what happens in case something happens to us, who gets the money, who's our trustees. You know, we hired this lawyer that was recommended by my tax accountant. And the guy said, you know, we like to think of passing down wealth, not just passing down money, but passing down your values, because there's a spark inside of you. And that spark when ignited creates the flame, which is cash, right? So whatever it is you're doing to make money comes from the spark inside of you. And he's like, we like to talk to our clients about passing down the spark and not the flame. Inevitably, there will be some money that you pass down. But how do you pass down your values? Because wealth is not just a product of the dollars in a bank account. Wealth is a product of your knowledge and your experience and your life skills. And how do you pass that down? He said, I'd like you to read my book. And so he sent it to me and I thought, oh, it's going to be boring because I'm going to learn about trust funds and and that. (laughs) And I was so inspired by it because it was a little bit about that, but mostly it was about like how to speak to your kids about your wealth, how to pass down your values, how to let them know that wealth is not only money. It has also to do with your experiences and your values. And so you go through this exercise where you write out your mission statement and then they actually put it in our trust when we set up our trust. And, you know, we had to, we had to answer so many interesting questions. For instance, for our kids, they will get, we had to make a decision about when they would have access to their trust. And so, you know, I don't want my 18 year old kid if, you know, when they get there to get the bulk of their wealth dumped down on them at 18. Like, what would I have done with that at 18? I shudder to think. So they asked us, they said the most, the way that most of our clients do and that we recommend is that we let them have access to a third of their trust at 25 with guidance of the trustees that you choose. And if they use it responsibly, five years later, they get another third. And if they use it responsibly, five years later, they get another third. And then you tell your trustees, what are your values to which you can evaluate whether or not they use it accordingly. Also, if they get married, they have to sign a prenuptial agreement. So all of these things were just such interesting questions that I had never thought about before. But this book really prepares you to think about it in a way that helps you. Like if I just ask you that right now, you may have a knee jerk reaction to it. Like, oh, I would never ask my kids to get prenups. But you know, I can challenge you with all of these theoretical questions that may make you think differently about it. And then you're at least more set up if you've written out your family values to answer those questions. Right. Because most of the time, and I'll tell you that most of my knee jerk answers to those questions were not the same after I had actually been pushed on the theory of my family values. Yes, this is such an interesting topic. We actually went through this. So we went after my son was born. At some point, he was probably approaching one. And we were like, we really need to like get on this whole will situation because yeah. what if something happens? And so we went to do our will. And this whole idea of a trust came up. And I was like, well, I don't I mean, because in my mind, only really rich people have trust. So I was like, I don't think we need a trust. Like our lawyer explained it all to us and how it would all work. And he said, you know, 
if something happened, especially while your child was really young, if something happened to you and your husband, you actually do have some sizable assets because you, you know, we have a rental house and we have the house we live in and different things. We have life insurance for both of us. So all these different things that you kind of just don't think about because it doesn't make it seem like, you know, I go to the grocery store and I'm still like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm spending so much money on organic meat or whatever. So it doesn't mean that we have like all this financial freedom, but we do have some assets. And so we had these same conversations about how the trust would be and the money would be divided up to Vinny should something happen to both of us. And it was the everything you just talked about where it's divided up over, you know, some of it's maybe on his 18th birthday or his 21st birthday. And I don't even remember exactly what the how we broke down the years now. But it was a really interesting conversation and definitely gave us pause to think through some of these things. And to really kind of, like you said, challenge ourselves a little bit about our values around wealth and how much responsibility we wanted to give our child at different ages and all those kinds of things. So I really love everything you just said. And I agree that when you initially have those conversations or thoughts, you're like, oh, I mean, everything you said about the prenup, like what? Making my kids sign a prenup? But when you start looking at some of the potential situations that could arise, there's things that just make a lot more sense. And yeah, so it's all such a fascinating conversation about like responsibility and protection and self-preservation. And also just as parents wanting to be like thoughtful and mindful and generous in different ways. So it's pretty interesting. Right. And, you know, I try really hard to speak to my kids in a very inclusive way about money because my parents were like that. My parents were very empowered and competent entrepreneurs. And my husband came from a family who is terrified of money and acted like, you know, it doesn't grow on trees. It's hard to come by once you spend it, it's gone forever. And he has had to get over a lot of anxiety about it because he didn't have a mentor to really help empower him when it came to finances. And so we came from such different places. And my parents, whether it was, I think it was more conscious than I give them credit for, actually. They really wanted us to sort of understand money in a, in a really empowering way. Like my dad, he wouldn't let me get a car until I got a checkbook and showed him that I balanced the checkbook every month. And then I could apply for a loan that he co-signed. Now, my parents could have afforded a car. They could have just bought it. But that was not their value system. And they made me go through all of the financial exercises that goes behind securing debt on an asset. And it taught me so much. And so my kids are little, but I go through, like, if you look through my website, you see this whole system that I use for allowances and how I, you know, handle the things that they want and they have to contribute to their savings account and keep a third of their allowance to donate to charitable causes. And so it's a lot for them still. They're five and seven. The baby doesn't have her jars yet. She's only one. But I think it's a worthwhile cause. And even just the other day, I was driving my kid to, um, he takes golf on Mondays. And so he was with his friend who takes golf with him. And he's like, well, my mom can get that on her credit card. And his friend was like, you know, she has to pay that back. And he was like, no, she doesn't. Like, he didn't understand. He's only seven, you know. So he just must have thought that, like, by merit of personality, I had a stronger credit card that bought him things other people. I don't know. Like, I was like, yes, son, you do. Like, in your bank account. He's like, oh, it was just such an eye-opening experience. I was like, okay, you know, he's only just learning in the second grade to count money at all. And so, like, he can count the money in his allowance jar, but the idea of this money in the cloud that goes through a credit card, he just, it was too much for him. So I was like, okay, that's our next step. I totally understood that that comes next. Right, right. That's so interesting. So I have, uh, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but so my son is five and aware of this whole situation around ordering things on Amazon. And like, you click on something on Amazon and two days later, it's on your doorstep. And I was hesitant to let him know that this was even a process for a long time. And now he's aware of it because we order enough on Amazon that I cannot hide it from him. But yeah, I have to make connections with him that like we're paying for these things because he's like, oh, but I want this new Lego thing. And I see it right here on Amazon. 
And so, so make it show just, up. Yeah, like just click and then it comes, right? And so we've started talking about like my mom sends him like $3 at a time on like any holiday she can find an excuse for. So like for Valentine's Day, he'll get $3 from my mom. And for St. Patrick's Day, he'll get $3 from my mom. So he has this piggy bank of dollar bills. And we've started talking about like, okay, if you want this Lego thing on Amazon, that's $9.99, that means you need to go to the piggy bank and count out, you know, your 10 $1 bills and give them to mom. And then she orders it. But it's really trying to make those connections to make money as tangible as possible for kids, because we live in a world where money is not tangible anymore. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I, I separate their allowance in three jars in equal denominations. So they have a spend jar, a save jar, and a give jar. And so when they want something, like every now and again, they'll say, oh, can we spend allowance today when they've accrued it? And I don't give them money for chores. That's an unrelated lesson. Go ahead and finish what you're saying here. And then I want to cover that as well, because I knew that was part of our conversation. So So, but they can do extra jobs around the house that are for me, like the chores they have to do because they're part of the family. They can't choose not to put their things away or choose not to, you know, like they both have to take their laundry baskets into the laundry room and separate them by colors. They can't just say, well, I'll forego the dollar and not do it because I can't do that. right? Right. So that's a part of being a part of the family is that we all contribute to the labor around the house. Money is a completely separate lesson for them. Like, and so they know that they can earn more if I ask them to do a job. So like on the weekends, they'll come in and say, can I do some shredding? And I'll save a lot of my documents from the week and let them do like 20 minutes of shredding. It's not very much, you know, yeah. but it's still like they're little and they love it. I mean, who doesn't right. love a shredder? <laughs> I, it's uh, very rewarding, that shredding. Yes. <laughs> I know. And so they'll do a job like that. Or sometimes like I'll need something done that's just for my office or just for like my car. Although in all honesty, the mess in the car should be their responsibility. (laughs) But I digress. So they can actually earn extra money if they want to, but that's only, they have to volunteer. Can I do a job? And then I have to find something that wouldn't otherwise be their responsibility. And so, oh, I'm sorry, I hit the desk. I'm gesturing wildly. (laughs) And so then I take them to Target and you know how Target has those self-check aisles now? And so- those are great because they actually feed their dollars into the machine. Oh, yeah. Whereas otherwise, if they get, sometimes I'll be like, you know, we're at a different store. I'm like, okay, give mommy the money and mommy will put it on their my credit card. They don't really understand that exchange. Right. But if we go to like a Target and, you know, you kind of have to let them get, it's such an interesting exercise because they understand the limitations of their allowance. And there've right. been plenty of times when they're like, well, everything I can afford is junky, so I'm going to wait. And that's an amazing lesson. When you see your kid delay gratification, you're like, holy crap, this works. And it's so it's- I find it's really hard as a parent. Like, I want to be like, oh, my gosh, I'll just give you $2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to really check myself. And I have to, if my husband's not there, because he's better at checking himself than I am. So if he's not there, I have to be like, okay, just pretend he's here because he would be strong and, you know, say like, we're not getting right. that then. <laughs> yeah. And so I want them to want things. Right. It's good for them. It, it motivates yeah. them. So, yeah. It's, yeah, so interesting. So we've started kind of talking about this, but let's keep going with how do you, you say we should treat our marriages and our families like businesses. So let's go a little further into that and talk about what you mean with that. Well, I think that in any marriage there are, or any partnership, you know, everyone has strengths. And if you really learn to play to your strengths the way you do in your career, then you'll learn that there are all kinds of ways that you can build wealth and live a little bit more successfully in in ways that you had not considered before. So for me, I just started with building this spreadsheet, which was our balance sheet. And I sat my husband down one day and I was like, this is where we're starting from. This is what we have. This is what we owe. Let's try and do better. Now, he was already had his hair on fire about real estate investment. And I had some real estate as well. Um, It wasn't an awesome investment because it was in San Francisco, like right downtown. So it was expensive for what I was making back. So I was like, yeah, I know passive income's good, but I never thought that we could actually get to a place where we could retire from the news business in order to, you know, live this life that we live now in the same, in the same lifestyle. I just didn't think that we would. And so 
he was really good at teaching himself real estate. You know, he like got on planes, went places, met people, put together teams. Now that's what he does full time is he helps other people identify what's called turnkey real estate. So that means that you find something that's not being sold by a realtor. It's off market. So it's discounted, but it's being sold by a company that will help you put tenants in. And it's like a one stop shop. Right. And so that's what we do full time together. But I was never going to be the one who was going to identify real estate and like go place. I hate looking at houses. It's just not my thing. In fact, most of our real estate, we own over 50 doors I've never seen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And in fact, I think I've seen like three total. (laughs) Um, So crazy. Yeah. Fascinating to me. I love looking at houses. I mean, as long as they're, as they're nice, like I like looking at dream homes. I want to look at just HGTV homes. (laughs) But then, you know, like the rental stuff, it's not sexy. You're right, not right. putting your own pretty, personal pretty, stamp pretty on vanilla, it. Pretty vanilla, right. Yeah. And so, like, I care about the deal. I, you can tell me, you know, I'll look it up online. I'll do some research. I can tell you if it's going to return cash on cash return. We get, on average, about 12% return on our money. Whereas before in the stock market, we were getting four on a great year, 4%. Mm, okay. So, for me, I'm the spreadsheet person. I'm the money return person. And, you know, based on this like self-educating journey I went on, I became really good at understanding the language of money. And he decided he wanted to be really good at real estate. And those two things work together. Now, you know, maybe you don't have those skills inside of your house, but someone's got to take responsibility for either the spreadsheets or the bank accounts. If it's just someone who's managing the passwords, like, oh, I pay the electric bill and I have the online banking password. That ain't it. You're not going anywhere, you know? So you have to figure out what interests you, what is your strength, and then what are our goals? And there are plenty of times when I think, oh, this would be a great wealth strategy. You know, what we did was teach ourselves so many different tricks to turn our assets into performing assets. And we employed all kinds of strategies, borrowing from a 401k, converting an IRA to a self-directed IRA, taking a home equity line of credit. These are skills that I can teach you on my blog. That's what I try to do is give people these ideas to turn their either their debt into more favorable debt or their assets into more favorable assets. But you just have to figure out what interests you and what you can take on. For instance, last year, I got really obsessed with whether or not I wanted to do this thing called infinite banking through whole life insurance. And I read several books on the subject and I just couldn't figure it out. And I felt like in the end, this was not for us. So plenty of times finance is just going to be like, no, I don't get it. So Mm -hmm. give up on that thing and then find the thing that you can do. You know, I stuck with that for a long time and it's okay to give up sometimes if it overwhelms you, and then come back to it later. But I think what we don't know, especially as women, is that finance is purposely confusing. The Mm. banks want us to think that, oh, if you just automate some savings and keep your money in stock-based accounts, then you're going somewhere. You're not. Mm -hmm. If you really play those numbers out, you're not really going somewhere. If you really learn to evaluate money, you will not be impressed with a 401k plan. It's not that great. That's exactly what I just thought of when you said that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but think of the attitude. When I put on anything on like Twitter or my blog about anything remotely degrading about the 401k, oh my God, people hate on me as if I've just like said that kids should smoke marijuana for lunch. (laughs) It's crazy how people have this fixed mindset about the 401k and it's only a result of marketing. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. 
So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. And so did you see that John Oliver piece about no, the 401k? I love John Oliver. He did this whole thing about like how the 401k is actually a big marketing sham. And I was like, thank you. Oh my God. Because that was something that I had taught myself. And so yeah. once you really just start to break out of the mindset of like, well, I'm just automating my savings, you realize that the bank is making you think that. But when you expand your own wealth consciousness and realize that you can make better decisions one by one, mm-hmm. then you really can start to create a business plan inside your family. So that's a lot what I write about. So this makes me think about, because you said that 401ks are basically a big marketing scheme, and which totally makes sense. But also planning for retirement in that fashion is also very rooted in tradition. And like people have been giving to social security and people have been giving to pension, like that all those systems have been in existence for so long, kind of like working a nine to five job. Like that's just what you do when you grow up. And so it's almost like we have to become more entrepreneurial about our life after retirement and what that is going to look like. And that takes a lot of responsibility and definitely is probably a little uncomfortable and scary to people very much like leaving a Monday through Friday, nine to five job is to someone who's going to go, you know, build a business around a podcast or like in my case, opening my own fitness business and getting out of the big gym situation and different things that I've done where it was like, I actually refuse to participate in this like current fitness system that wants to pay me $12 an hour when I know I can be making $65 an hour. And that was 15 years ago that I made that decision. But that was a complete game changer. And it really changed how I think about just different systems that are rooted in tradition. And I think this is a really good example of one of those. And I know that when we've talked to our financial advisors and one is my sister-in-law who works with my husband's accounts and has forever. And then I have my own person and we kind of work with them all together now since we've been married. But it's interesting the conversations that we have around 401ks and retirement plans and and my um, contributions to the conversation that are like, but what if we did it this way? And like, but what about real estate? And but what about growing a business you can sell? And but what yeah. about, and it like makes everyone squirm. But I'm like, do we have to sit in this model that's like, Right. X amount a month to earn like, you know, 17 cents on the dollar. What's not even 17 cents, whatever the thing is. And it's really interesting how people who are come from a traditional finance background, they're like really uncomfortable with some of those conversations. Yeah. The only explanation I have for it is that it makes Wall Street so much money for us to know, for us to park our money there because of the system of fractional reserve. Because if we put a dollar in the bank, they can lend out 90 sense of that dollar. And they're basically creating money every time you deposit money inside of the bank account. Mm -hmm. And so I understand why that is. But, you know, my dad 
he sort of taught me to think in terms of, he's like, you know, everyone likes this idea of a nest egg, right? But you can only build up so many eggs and then what, right? Then you live off of those eggs until it's empty and hope that you don't outlive the eggs. That's a morbid way to think of savings, right? Right. So he was like, you need to think about the nest goose, so don't buy eggs. Don't save your eggs. Use those eggs to buy a goose. And that goose is going to lay eggs in perpetuity, right? So that's what we did is we took our nest eggs and bought geese. So we took our like kind of dud assets and turned them into performing assets. Because, you know, those of you who feel very threatened when I poo-poo the 401k, I get it. I felt that way too. And when my husband said he wanted to borrow from his 401k to buy real estate, I was like, what? Right. And then I realized like, oh, it's just a loan and we pay ourselves back the interest. And that's actually an awesome way to buy performing assets. But, you know, I didn't like the idea of it. But then when you really look into the 401k, the average withdrawal of the 401k at full maturity, that means you wait till retirement age and then you take it out, is $90,000. And then you're taxed at least 30%, you know, in most cases between 20 and 30%. So you're going to retire on 80% of $90,000. How long are you going to live on that. I hope you die soon. If that's your plan. You're saying that's the average like lifetime withdrawal from a 401k or that's the average full maturity, not not annual. Okay. No, that's what it's worth for most people. It's worth $90,000 and they get a tax bill when they withdraw it. If it's not a Roth, fortunately, more people are choosing Roth and I strongly feel that you should, but yeah. So if your 401k is your only plan for savings, you're not building wealth. And so the quote from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that great book about building assets by Robert Kiyosaki, he says, you know, the wealthy buy assets and the poor buy liabilities. So if you are funneling all of your paycheck into your liabilities, your car payment, your house payment, just because you think, well, I can afford it, then your dollars are only treading water. You're not building wealth. The wealthy buy assets, right? The geese. And the poor buy liabilities. They put all their money into the financial products that they'd have agreed to. The house payment, the student loan, right? You have to free yourself from your liabilities and build assets, performing assets. And there are so many ways to do that. That's why I took on this writing project is to help other people to see their way out of this, just like, well, I'll save myself to wealth and then hope for the best. Right, right. So you just mentioned Roth IRAs. And can you explain why you think they're more valuable than, I don't know if valuable is the right word, but why you prefer them over a 401k? And then also talk about you suggest getting Roth IRAs for your kids. So can you explain all of that? Okay. Yeah. These are kind of advanced tricks. So they took me a while to learn. So if if I explain them and anyone listening, your eyes glaze over, just like put it aside (laughs) because I don't want you to think like- And I do like like, that advice that you mentioned earlier that like, if it's too confusing, move on for now. Then find something that lights your fire right now. You know, just don't quit. That's the only thing is just don't give up. You need to find something that you can succeed at. And then that thing will teach you the next skill. So, okay, let's start with just the merits of the 401k versus the Roth 401k or the IRA versus the Roth IRA. Now, they both are similar products. The 401k is an employer sponsored retirement plan. And the IRA is a retirement plan that you can get if you don't have a 401k. And actually, you can get one even if you do. But It's sort of your self-initiated retirement plan, if you will. So there are fewer rules around it than your employer-sponsored 401k. Now, the difference between a Roth and a traditional of either of those accounts is that one is taxed when you withdraw it and one is taxed before you contribute to it. So I like to think of it as paying tax on the seed versus the crop. So the seed is what you, the dollars that you put into that account, right? That is going to grow based on whatever assets are inside of it. My IRAs actually own real estate. And that's a whole other trick that you can learn on my blog as well. But most IRAs and 401ks are, they own mutual funds or exchange traded funds or stock-based accounts, right? So they're growing nominally, but they are growing most of the time, depending on what Congress and the stock market is doing. But let's make an assumption that the stock market is growing at a nominal rate. So... 
do you want to pay tax on the seed or the crop? Does that make sense? So if you have a traditional account, you're not being taxed on the seed. You're going to be taxed on the crop. So you take $5, it turns into 15. The government obviously wants to tax you on 15, right? That's why they push you so much into these retirement accounts. I like just the opposite. I want to pay tax on the seed and then grow that crop. And then they don't touch the crop. The crop is all mine. Now, a lot of people make the judgment that, well, I probably, when I retire, will be in a lower tax bracket. So I'd rather pay tax on that. Well, okay, but you're still paying tax on $15 rather than five. And do you plan to retire poor? Because I don't. I, I don't think that that doesn't show a lot of confidence in your ability <laughs> yeah. to create wealth. Right. And so when people say that, I'm like, OK, have fun with that. Be, you know, you want to be in a low tax bracket because you're retired. Well, all right. Yeah. And that's one of the pieces of advice that was given to me early on when I started my own business was like max out your Roth IRA every year and make that your first priority for saving. Um, yeah. And then after that, if you want to be putting things into other IRAs, we can go from there. Yeah. And so actually, my husband last year, when he left his job, he had a 401k that was not a Roth. It was a traditional. And so we made the decision to transfer it into a Roth IRA instead of a traditional IRA, because we think we can grow that in the next, he has 19 years until he's retirement age. So I know that I can get at least 10% return on that. So 10% return over 19 years, I definitely want to pay the taxes now rather than on that seed. So we took the hit, which was hard, but actually we waited until the 2018 because of the GOP tax law. So we transferred it and then we converted it this year so that we're at least in a 2% more favorable tax rate. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. So any final things you want families to know about wealth building mindset and how to pass that down to our kids? And it's just some, I think we've you know kind of touched on a lot of different mindset shifts here, which I think are really powerful. Anything you want to add to that or just last comments on how to continue having these kinds of conversations and changing the conversations with our kids to help them as, as they develop their relationships with money and wealth? Yeah, I mean, it only really starts with you, though. You have to start to teach yourself that you are more empowered than you think. And if you don't do that, then there's no way you can help your kids become financially empowered. It has to start with a mindset shift inside of you. And I think with money, there's this idea that like, this is what I'm worth. Or, you know, I I maybe am not a good person if I haven't been able to build wealth like a good capitalist or what have you. So what I hope for anyone who reads my blog or hears me on a podcast or listens to my husband and my podcast is that they can think through their own way, that they realize that finance takes creativity. This was a huge mindset shift for me because I thought it was just money is linear. And it's not because wealthy people favor creativity. Am I saying that? Yeah. Yeah, No, that totally makes sense. And and you can get so creative with the assets you have now and turn them into performing assets in ways that you had never thought of. And that's exactly what we did. And so you can't build wealth my way. You have to start with your own balance sheet. But you can follow my journey and see what I've done and push yourself to think, can I do something similar or will that teach me something else? And inevitably, you just follow the breadcrumbs like Hansel and Gretel, like one to the next to the next. And then you will grow personally and financially. But you have to sort of realize your journey has to be personal, just like your soul journey is. And you can be as creative as you want. Yes, definitely. And I think that it's so important to go back to the beginning of your story and remember that this started with you going to a library with a library card and checking out one book. And it really is like taking just one step can be the beginning of shifting a whole bunch of things. And I think that we've talked about some really big things here and some bigger, more maybe intimidating concepts or maybe overwhelming concepts to people if this is different kinds of conversation than you're used to having around money. And so I think to 
bring it back full circle and remember that it can start with a very, very small, safe action, which is just to like be open to something new and learn a little bit more. And that's where the power starts to shift and the creativity starts to open up and the ideas around innovation and entrepreneurship and those kinds of things really start to like, you start to see how you might fit into that. And I think that's really, really powerful because for people who have a very traditional background with money or traditional path with money, or there's been scarcity around money, these things are, they feel big and scary and overwhelming. Yeah. So I really like the idea that it can start with one little thing that can be low risk. And then you just kind of continue to figure it out from there. And it gets less scary and less risky over time because of the knowledge that comes with that. And, you know, there were plenty of days where I'm like, what am I doing? You know, like I'm reading these books as if they were assigned by a professor. Like I took it seriously. This is going to be my job and I'm going to figure this out and be good at it. And I didn't even completely see how I just knew that I was committed to an idea of something. And we started with the net worth of a negative number. We owed more than we owned. And now our net worth is over $5 million because like this was a very intentional decision on behalf of my husband and I, and we worked together really, really well. And we learn a lot about ourselves in the process and we're not afraid to ask stupid questions. That's, that's one thing that I think women don't do is enough is like, Oh, I don't understand that. And I don't want to ask, you know, and now when I'm learning a new skill and and I get somebody on the phone, who's going to help me with this thing, I could give a crap if they think my questions are dumb. I'm going to ask questions until I understand it and make the very best decision. So don't be scared. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. So final question, in what ways are you a shameless mom? Well, I guess I'm shameless in that I just have the audacity to, you know, put as much into this idea of what I think that I'm creating as I do in like my domestic work, you know, I take, I take it seriously. I I love that Jackie Onassis quote that you have, but one chance to raise your kids. So I work really hard at raising them for better or for worse, you know, but I also want them to see that I sort of dare to create this vision too, even though it's, it's kind of hard to explain at a PTA meeting what I do, (laughs) you know, like, Oh, I write and help other people, you know, empower themselves about money and people are like okay that's nice (laughs) so funny people are like i get the same thing when i go to preschool meetings and they're like so you have a podcast now what exactly is that again then they're like oh that's cute (laughs) do you feel embarrassed about it at all i feel like i I? I don't do you yeah i feel like i don't own it enough oh my gosh no I kind of feel like I'm in a special club. So when I'm with other podcasters, I feel very small because I know that how big the podcasting world is. But when I'm with people who don't know what a podcast is, I feel like I'm kind of in a special exclusive club. Yeah. So Natalie, thank you so much for joining us in the Shameless Mom Academy today. This has been really helpful and insightful and so inspiring to me. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. Tell people where we can connect with you and how people can touch base with you if they want to learn more. Okay, so you can go to nataliemorris.com and there's no E on Natalie. Or morrisinvest.com is where my husband and I make it our mission to help other people get started in real estate. And we can help you, you know, figure out what your assets are, figure out where you'd like to invest and identify a property. Most of our properties are only around $50,000. You can get started within a rental property and really learn to build a full portfolio. So, you know, there's a podcast that goes along with it as well. It's called Investing in Real Estate with Clayton Morris. My name's not on the billing because I only do one episode a week and he does three. But yeah, so, you know, we have a lot of education products that we can help other people. Nice. Well, I will have that, all of that linked up in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com. That was Morris Invest was the, okay. And then Investing in Morris, is that the the podcast is Investing in Real Estate oh, sorry. with Clayton Morris. That's okay. okay. <laughs> I missed all the Catchy name, I know. Got it. And then just nataliemorris.com if you want to sort of follow along my journey of yes. wealth building. And nataliemorris.com is not just about real estate. In fact, most of it's not. Mm-hmm. Most of it is just about wealth empowerment. So, you know, because some people, they're not ready right. to get there, but they still can start small. And that's where I sort of help everyone well, and that's I, I mean, that's my a, good, goal, anyway. a good starting point for people who are maybe just curious and want to like dip a toe into learning a little bit yeah. more. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything you offered here today and contributed and everything that you're doing to help women be more powerful with money and families um, have better and more healthy relationships with money. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate the platform to say so. Thanks again. You're welcome. 
Thank you so much for spending time with Natalie and me in the Shameless Mom Academy. Remember, you can connect with Natalie and find all links mentioned in the episode, including links to our sponsors to get their hookups with their great discounts and deals if you go over to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 220. If this is your first time joining us in the Shameless Mom Academy, we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday, but you got to subscribe to the show to never miss an episode. So make sure you subscribe by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, which will drop you into our Apple podcast portal where you can go ahead and click on the little subscribe button so you get access to every episode as soon as it's released. You can also write a review while you're there. So please do write a review. You might be chosen as one of our shameless moms of the week who we profile every Monday on our solo episode. I'm willing to bet you learned something new today. I hope you go out and put it into practice right away to improve your life, to improve your family's life, and to act a little more shameless, right? So no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.